0: <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor.
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Last night we heard Orson Welles playing Harry Lime. Tonight we've given him another role, that of a guide in a weird collection of murder weapons and various ordinary objects once associated with historical true crime cases and based on real life cases from the files of Scotland Yard's Black Museum. The Black Museum was a radio crime drama program produced by the BBC in London with Harry Allen Towers as producer. Ira Marion was the scriptwriter and music for the series was composed and conducted by Sidney Torch. Orson Welles was both host and narrator for shows of horror and mystery based on Scotland Yard's collection. The show's opening began with uh, Orson walking through the museum. He would pause at one of the exhibits with his description of an artifact serving as a device to lead into a riley narrated dramatized tale of a brutal murder or vicious crime with the story themes deriving from objects in the collection, usually with the names of the people involved change, but the facts remaining true to history. So let's go back to 1952 and the episode, The Door Key.
2: This is Orson Welles, speaking from London. Here in the grimstone structure on the Thames, which houses Scotland Yard, is a warehouse full of souvenirs where everyday objects a skipping rope, a glass an iron a stepladder all are touched by murder you take this key
3: this was on the floor beside the body, sir a door key the kind that fits only
2: one lock but whose? Perhaps the murderer, sir. Today, this key can be seen in the Black Museum.
4: From the annals of the Criminal Investigation Department of the London Police, we bring you the dramatic stories of the crimes recorded by the objects in Scotland Yard's Gallery of Death. The Black Museum. In just a moment, you will hear The Black Museum starring Orson Welles. ...museum starring Orson Welles.
2: Well, here we are in the Black Museum... ...Scotland Yard's museum of murder. Here lies death... ...arranged neatly on the shelves and tables open to your view... Now here's a spoon, it's a simple household spoon. Our murderer was meticulous, with this he measured out a careful dose of poison. That oar up there on the wall, that was used by the stroke of a famous rowing aid at Henley. Later it was used in anger, swung at a man who stood on the edge of a pier, stunning him, the man drowned in the Thames very quickly. Ah, here we are, here's the key, an ordinary key the kind used to open most of the front doors in London. Once this key was in the pocket of a man who was waiting for another in his room at the Kingsley Arms Hotel in Surrey. Regan?
3: Oh, I'm
2: sorry.
5: Excuse me, sir. I'll just turn the bed down.
3: Uh, Certainly. I'm waiting for Mr. Regan. You don't happen to know what time he'll be back, do you?
5: No, sir, but if you wait here, you're sure to catch him.
3: Thanks, I will. I particularly want to see him.
2: The conversation lapsed. The visitor sat down again. The maid completed her work and left, stealing a glance at the young man as she closed the door behind her. Night fell. Lights came on in the guest bedrooms. But in one room, the number on the door was 22. A man sat alone in the darkness, waiting. The night passed and morning came. In the hotel, there were beds to be made. Rooms to tidy. No answer from room 22. The maid was pleased her work could be accomplished without interruption. She was thinking of this as she opened the door. Stepped in, the bed was unused, turned down just as she'd left it. Sunlight was flooding through the two windows. And on the floor, a man lay dead. The manager called the police. The police requested the assistance of Scotland Yard. And Inspector Sidney Russell and Detective Sergeant Hobbs were sent down to Surrey.
3: This is the room, sir. Number 22. Has anyone been in there since the maid found the body? No one, Inspector, except myself and the local police sergeant. On his orders, I kept the room locked. Good, ma'am. There you are. Thank you. I'll let you know when we need you, sir.
2: The two detectives covered the room, and in their quick survey of the murder scene, they found several leads.
3: His wallet, sir. Let's have a look at the identity card, sergeant.
2: There you are, sir. Hmm.
3: Name's Thomas Regan. What else have you got there, sergeant? Uh, roll of notes, sir. The killer either missed that, or the motive wasn't robbery. Oh, I don't think it was robbery, sir. His watch is still on his wrist. Going. No, sir. It stopped at 7.25. That might have been the time the murder took place. Though, on the other hand, the watch might have run down this morning.
2: He was shot through the head, sir. Surely somebody must have heard that. You would
3: think so. Well, here's a shell I found on the carpet. Hmm. Point 22. We'll keep this for ballistics. What else, Sergeant? Oh, some silver taken from his trouser pocket. A handkerchief with the initials. Initials TR in the corner and a cigarette lighter. With the initials TR? Hmm. He's well labeled. And uh, this was on the floor beside the body, sir. A door key. The kind that fits only one lock. But whose? Perhaps the murderer, sir. Unless it belonged to Regan himself. Oh, it's not the kind they use in the hotels. No. Was he wearing or carrying a keychain? No, sir. Then the key would have been carried in his pocket along with his money. Which hadn't been spilled onto the floor. You may be right, Sergeant, but to make absolutely sure, that key should be checked against every lock in Regan's home and his office and everywhere he might have occasion to visit. If it does not belong in any of those places, then it seems to me that when we find the door that key fits, we find the murderer.
2: The detectives went downstairs to talk once more to the hotel manager.
3: Inspector, this is a terrible business. Listen to those men in the bar. What about them? They're newspaper reporters. Oh, this is really dreadful. The notoriety, the reporters, the headlines. It'll ruin my business. It wasn't very nice for Mr. Regan, either. No, I I suppose not, poor devil. What can you tell us about him? Only that he was a commercial traveller. He's stayed here before? Several times. A traveller, eh? Did he work for any firm in particular, would you happen to know? Yes, I do know, because they always paid the hotel bills. He worked for a London firm, Hardy and Sons Limited. Thank you, sir. I'll leave the room upstairs locked until we have it photographed and checked for fingerprints. Oh, Inspector, there's one other thing I'd better mention. I think it's important. Yes? A man called to see Mr. Regan last night. Did you get a good look at him? I didn't see him at all, nor did the desk clerk. The maid found him waiting in room twenty-two when she came in to turn the bed down. Unusual, isn't it, knowing Regan's room number? It suggests an acquaintance. Not necessarily, Inspector. Why do you say that? We have a register here in the foyer. It's on that wall over there. A room register? Yes, just a card opposite the room number. Some people don't bother with it, but Mister Regan always put his card up. So that made us the only one who saw this man. Yes, Inspector. Then I'd like to talk to her. Sir. Oh, I'll go and get her for you.
2: The hotel manager returned almost immediately with a maid. She was a young girl, very pale, her eyes still fearful from the sight she'd seen on the floor of room 22.
3: Annie Mitchell, Inspector. How do you do, Annie? Uh, This is Inspector Russell from Scotland Yard.
5: How do you do, sir?
3: Annie, what time did you turn down the bed in room 22 last night?
5: It was going on for six, sir.
3: And I believe Mr. Regan was not in his room.
5: No, sir, but there was a man there.
3: Could you describe him to me?
5: Well... He was tall, fairly young-looking, dark hair. He spoke uh, educated-like.
3: I see. What did he say?
5: Just that he was waiting for Mr. Regan, and he particularly wanted to see him.
3: Tell me, would you know this man if you saw him again?
5: Yes, I think I would.
2: The inspector was well satisfied. But Sergeant Hobbs, who had been questioning the guests, had not fared so well.
3: Now, sir, I'm sorry to trouble you, but I have to ask you a few questions. Uh, Really, this is most annoying. I've been kept here all the morning, and it's extremely inconvenient. I quite understand, sir. Now, uh, can you tell me whether you heard any unusual noise or disturbance during the night? The only disturbance of which I'm aware is the disturbance created by the police this morning. You uh, didn't hear a shot, for instance? Certainly not. And you were in your room the whole evening? Yes. Can I go now? Yes, that'll be all. Uh, Thank you very much. Well, it's certainly not been a pleasure. It seems nobody heard a shot last night, sir. Nobody at all? Not a single guest, even those occupying adjoining rooms. That's funny. Anyway, I'm leaving you in charge here. The police surgeon will be arriving to carry out a post-mortem. All right, sir. Are you going back to London? Yes, I think the case winds up there. The next move is to London to check that key against every lock in Mr. Regan's home and his office just to see if it fits. (laughs) I'm uh, very sorry to bother you, ma'am, but I'd like to go right over the house, if you don't mind. Trying the locks, and uh, if there are any cases or cupboards, etc., that I might miss, I'd be very pleased if you'd point them out to me. I've uh, come along to see if you can help me, sir, in connection with Mr. Regan. I want to know if there's any desk or cupboard in his office... Uh, Or the office door itself, which has a lock for which this might be the key. I believe you've uh, a lock-up garage here, formerly rented by Mr. Regan. It must, of course, have a lock, and I'd be glad if you'd allow me to compare the lock with this. No, sir. I've checked every conceivable place connected with Regan... ...and the answer the same everywhere. The key does not belong. Hmm. In that case, we have our answer. Somewhere, someplace, Sergeant, there is a door... ...and behind that door we'll find the murderer. You know, if I was a philosopher... ...I would say that it's rather symbolic... ...that we have a key to which we must fit the lock. Still, I'm not a philosopher, I'm a detective... ...and it's our job, Sergeant... To find the lock, to find the door, and to find the murderer. And that's just what we're going to do, Sergeant. We're going to find the door that this key fits.
2: In time they were to find the door. By patient, methodical methods, they came to the front door of a small flat. The key fitted. The same key that can be seen today in the Black Museum.
4: In just a moment we will continue with The Black Museum starring Orson Welles. continue with The Black Museum, starring Orson Welles.
2: Inspector Russell went back to London, certain that the crime had motive, and that the motive would only be found by a search into the habits and associations of Thomas Regan. His first call was to the offices of Hardy and Sons, Limited where he was speedily ushered into the presence of the reigning Mr. Hardy.
3: Come in, Inspector. Sit down. Thank you, sir. Shocking business. Now, who could have wanted to kill poor Regan? That's what we're trying to find out. Of course. Shocking. One of our best travellers. What do you know of his personal life, Mr. Hardy? I may be able to help you there, Inspector. I believe in taking an interest in my employees... I've uh, always encouraged them to bring their troubles to me. And Regan had troubles? Yes. He was a bachelor. Rather a gay one at times. I suspect he, uh, He was having trouble over a woman. Yes? A married woman. She kept on ringing up to speak to him. And the thing spread in the office. He was rather embarrassed and slightly worried about it all. Do you happen to know the woman's name, Mr. Hardy? I'm afraid I can't help you there, Inspector. Though, uh, Wait a minute. Yes? He did mention something. That's right. I've got it now. Uh, He didn't want to tell me her name. That's a pity. But in admitting she was married, he did tell me that her husband was a doctor on hospital duty. A doctor? Yes, and uh, one other thing I recollect. He mentioned her first name. It was Lyndall. And I have information that the man we want to interview is young. That suggests a hospital turn. Yes, with a wife named Lyndall. Hmm, not very much to go on, Inspector. It might be quite a help. He never told you, I suppose, whether it was a London hospital or not? He never said so, but I'm quite sure it would be. At least the wife lives in London. What makes you think that? Well, the number of telephone calls that woman made to Regan. Nobody could afford that many trunk line calls.
2: So they began in London. St. Bartholomew's Hospital.
3: An intern or a young doctor whose wife's name is Lyndon.
2: The registrars of the big hospitals consulted their records, made special inquiries. St. Thomas's, Westminster, Guy's. Each one of them returned to shake his head. There are several hundred hospitals in the London area. Big general hospitals, small private nursing homes, special hospitals, children's hospitals, maternity infectious, orthopedic hospitals. At the first 42... They drew a blank. Then, at the London Royal Hospital at last.
3: A young intern whose wife's name's Lindell. That's a funny one, Inspector. It's all the information we have, Doctor. It's useless to ask, I suppose, whether you might have this man on your staff. But we do have him. What? Well, at any rate, one of our interns has a wife named Lindell. Dr. Bowen. Dr. Felix Bowen. I'll send for him, shall I? No, wait, Doctor. Could you give me some idea what this Dr. Byrne looks like? Yes, I think so. He's he's young, 31, I, I think. Uh, quite tall, dark hair. Would you have his address here in your records, Doctor? Certainly. I, I'll get it for you, Inspector. Thank you. And shall I send for Dr. Byrne? No, I don't want to see him just now. And I don't want it known that any queries have been made about him. Uh, very well, you can depend on me. Is he in some kind of trouble? Nothing to worry about just yet, sir.
2: Now, if you'll get me that address... Patience had paid off. The 43rd Hospital. Now to interview Lindell Bowen. Inspector Russell went to the address he'd been given a small flat in a good residential district. The lock on the door fascinated him. The urge to try out the key in his pocket was almost overwhelming. But instead, he knocked. Mrs. Byrne?
3: Yes? I'm Inspector Russell from Scotland Yard.
5: Scotland Yard.
2: May I come in?
5: Yes, of course.
2: Thank you. She was young, an attractive woman, but her eyes were frightened.
3: Mrs. Byrne, when did you last see Thomas Regan?
5: Regan? Tom- Thomas Regan?
3: I think you know who I mean. But
5: I don't, Inspector. I'm very sorry. Not but...
3: at all, ma'am. Perhaps I'm mistaken.
5: And of course, I've read about him in the papers. That is, if it's the same, Mr. Regan. It is the same.
3: Mrs. Byrne, with your permission, I'd like to conduct a small experiment.
5: Experiment? I I don't understand, Inspector.
3: It's quite simple. This key. Key? I'd like to try it in your front door.
5: But
6: I...
3: Of course, if you choose to say no, then I won't be able to try it. You won't. But But I I also ought to warn you that I can return in a very short time with a warrant. All right. Try it. Thank you, Mrs. Byrne. I'll just open the door and insert the key.
2: The key turned effortlessly and easily. Hope died in the woman's eyes. The inspector from the yard took out the key and closed the door again.
3: And now, Mrs. Byrne, you and I are going to have a talk about Thomas Regan.
2: Several significant events took place. A gun was found beneath a pile of medical books. It was taken to Scotland Yard to the ballistics expert there. The gun
3: checks, sir. That's a murder weapon, right enough. Little wonder nobody heard the shot in the hotel. It's fitted with a silencer.
2: A silencer. Evidence of premeditation. Late that afternoon the record of its purchase was uncovered. The second significant event.
3: The gun was bought at a shop in the Soho district, sir. A second-hand shop two weeks ago. By whom, Sergeant? The description covers Dr. Felix Bowen. And the proprietor says he could recognize the man if he saw him again. We'll give him that chance. Come on. Where to, sir?
2: The hospital. To pick up Bowen. The third event was Bowen's flight across London. Somehow, in some way, the doctor learned of the net that was closing about him and made a run for it. He was gone when the detectives reached the London Royal Hospital. They drove to his home, but he wasn't there. Now across England, the vast network of police communications went into action. The teletype carried the news of the fugitive.
3: Central to all stations. General alarm for one Dr. Felix Byrne, age but by 31. Six feet tall, dark hair. Educated voice, quietly spoken. Wanted on suspicion
2: of murder The search was on in a thousand stations vigilant eyes searched for Bowen on the streets on trains and buses in restaurants and hotels within 24 hours he was picked up
3: I, I really must insist this is a terrible mistake I really don't know what what this is about. Uh, I'm sure you've got nothing to worry about, sir. Uh, Just answer a few questions, that's all. Of course, I'm perfectly prepared to cooperate with the law. But I must insist on an explanation at once. Yes, yes, of course, sir. You see, unfortunately, your appearance coincides with the description of a man wanted by the police. It's uh, just a routine matter, sir. Uh, If you'll give me some proof of your identity, we can clear the matter up in a few minutes. But I explained to the constable it... It's no longer compulsory to carry an identity card.: Yes, I know that, sir, but before we release you, we must have proof of your identity. Yes, but how can I uh, you see, sir, we must be sure you are not the wanted man. but I've told you all uh, now, Mr. Bowen, yes yes, Dr. Bowen. <laughs> Inspector Russell.
7: This is Sergeant Thompson, sir. I, we've picked up a man
3: who we believe is Dr. Felix Bowen. Hold him, Thompson. I'll be there in a matter of minutes.
2: It was Bowen, right enough. But if Inspector Russell hoped for an easy confession, he was disappointed. The doctor was defiant and tight-lipped.
3: I know nothing, I tell you. Nothing whatever. This whole thing is an outrage. I must remind you, sir, that your wife has made certain admissions. My wife? What has she told you? That she and Regan were having a love affair. That you found out. And the day before last, you went down to Surrey to see Regan. You returned late that night. Did I? And under a pile of medical books in your bookcase, we found the gun you used. The game's up, Bowen. The game is never up, Inspector. Until it's lost.
2: The evidence they had accumulated was impressive. But juries are cautious and defense counsels are often very smart. There had to be no loopholes. There had to be complete corroborating evidence.
3: I think we've got our man all right. The next thing is to prove it beyond all shadow of doubt. What's the uh, next move then, sir? Well, Sergeant, there's one person who got more than a passing glimpse of the murderer. Oh, you mean Annie, the maid at the hotel. Right. We'll see how Mr. Byrne fares on our identification parade. I have a feeling he won't fare too well. Now, Annie, I expect you've heard of an identification parade.
5: Yes, sir, like they have on the films.
3: That's right, Annie, but this is not a film. This is the real thing. Before we go into the next room, I want to impress on you how important it is that you make no mistake. A man's life may depend on your judgment. So when you answer me... Make sure, absolutely sure, beyond any shadow of doubt, the man you identify is the man you saw in the night of the murder. Yes, sir. Right, then. Now, in the next room, there are eight men. I want you to follow me into the room, take a good look at each of them, and see if you can pick out from amongst them the man you saw in room 22 waiting for Mr. Regan.
5: Very well, sir. It's not the first gentleman. Nor the second. But this is the man, sir. That's a lie. Yes, and that's his voice. I'd know it anywhere. This is the man, Inspector.
3: Well, Mr. Byrne, would you like to make a statement to us now? I have nothing to say. Except that I doubt that the evidence of a silly maid is likely to give you a conviction, Inspector, whatever you may think. We're depending on more than that, Mr. Byrne. There are other witnesses, including a silent witness, a door key. That was careless of you, Mr. Byrne. Very careless indeed.
2: Bourne was identified also by the owner of the second-hand shop as being the man who had bought the gun some two weeks before. With that, the case was complete. A door key had helped to find a murderer, and that self same key can be seen today in the Black Museum.
4: Orson Welles will be back with you in just a moment.
2: Now here in person is Orson Welles. Bowen killed the man who had stolen the affections of his wife. His was not a clever crime. It was premeditated, without a doubt, but clumsily conceived. For the young doctor was no student of the art of murder. Yet he might have escaped justice, had not a key fallen from his pocket. A key which ultimately brought the police to his front door. And now, until we meet next time in the same place, and I tell you another story about the Black Museum. I remain as always obediently yours.
4: The Black Museum starring Austin Wells is presented by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer Radio Attraction. The program is written by Creswick Jenkinson with music composed and conducted by Sidney Torch. Produced by Harry Allen Towers.
1: Stay tuned for Ozzy and Harriet next on Theatre of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. One of the most popular radio shows of the 40s was The Adventures of Ossie and Harriet. Tonight, we feature the family in the episode entitled Too Much Change.
8: It's good because it's Heinz. The H.J. Hines Company, makers of fifty-seven varieties of fine foods for over 80 years, present the amusing transcribed adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, starring the entire Nelson family, Ozzie, Harriet, David, and Ricky. Let's look in at the Nelson household and see what they have on tap for us this week. Hmm, I don't see Ozzie and Harriet any place, but there's David and Ricky. And David stretched out on the floor taking it easy, and Ricky seems to be reading the funnies to him.
9: Then in the last box, the captain says, Un now gis a good spanking for pulling the inspector's beard. And what is Rawl saying? Ha, ha, ha. Now read me Terry and the Pirates Oh, come on, David, read them yourself Don't be so ungrateful I used to read them to you, didn't I? Yeah, but that was before I could read Besides, I have to make out my report What report? We have a club meeting tonight I'm the treasurer Big deal What do you need a treasurer for? You kids don't have any money That's how much you know about it How much you got in the treasury? We got plenty, boy I'll bet we got it hidden in a swell place, too, boy. You'll never find it. Who wants it? Where is it? <laughs>
6: you're
9: not allowed to tell. It's a club secret. Okay, who wants to know anyway? It was my idea. It's a neat one, too, boy. Oh, hiya, fellas. Hi, Pop. Hiya, Pop. I might as well tell you, because you're going to find it out pretty soon anyway. What's this? Well, I'm treasurer of our club. Big deal.
10: Oh, good for you.
9: I'm the only treasurer, too.
10: The only treasure. how many presidents do you have?
9: Eight Eight presidents? Sure, and six vice presidents, four secretaries, and two ghoulies
10: What are ghoulies?
9: Well, it's a thing we made up When we got through with the election, there were two members that weren't elected to anything So we made up that they were ghoulies
6: Well,
10: oh, that sounds like a good idea Every member of the club's an officer, huh?
9: Yeah, and I'm the only treasurer.
10: Well, that's quite an honor.
9: Thanks, Pop. I'd rather be a ghoulie.
10: <laughs> I don't know about that, David. Being treasurer of a club's a big responsibility. Oh, Pop. Yes, it is. It shows that the other members of Ricky's club have a great deal of respect for him. It means that they trust him and consider him better qualified than anybody else for the responsibility of the position.
9: And besides, nobody else wanted the job. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you fellas had better hurry up. Okay, Mom. Come on, money bags. Okay, David. Cut the shoving. So long. So long. Bye, boys.
10: Goodbye, boys.
9: What was the big discussion about?
10: Yeah, Rick was telling me about some club he's in. Seems they've elected him treasurer.
11: Oh, speaking of treasurer, I have to run downtown for a few things. Do you have any Money? (laughs) (laughs)
10: Let's see.
11: Mm. You took $10 yesterday. Did you spend all of it, or don't you know?
10: Well, Harriet, I don't like the implications of that remark. I may act like I'm careless with money and, and uh, look like I'm careless with money, and, and some people may think I'm careless with money. You know why?
11: Because you're careless with money? <laughs> you know, because I've always got to figure it
10: figured out in my head. I don't have to keep figuring and adding all the time. I know just how much money I've got in my pocket right now. I believe you. I wasn't... No, past- no, go ahead. Ask me how much I've got in my pocket.
11: But I told you... Go I- ahead. Ask me. How much money have you got in your pocket right
10: now? Thought you'd catch me, didn't you? <laughs> second I'll figure it out.
6: Three, and then five, six, eight and ten,
10: and twenty. Exactly. Thirty-eight cents. <laughs>
11: 38
10: cents? Yeah, there it is. 20, 30, 35, 37. No, that's right. I weighed myself.
11: (laughs) 37 cents left out of $10. What'd you buy, an automobile?
10: No, it so happens I can explain every penny. No, I
11: was only kidding. No, no,
10: no. Wait a minute. I'd rather. Let's see. First, I went to the garage and had the car filled up with gas. That was three and a half.
11: Six and a half to go.
10: Then I met Thorney. That cost me about a dollar and a half. <laughs> two cheese sandwiches, two chocolate malteds, two pieces of pie, and the check was under my plate. I think I was framed.
11: <laughs> That's five. Uh,
10: then I went down to the Emporium and, and bought a shirt. They were on sale. That was three and a half. Uh, after that, I, I stopped in at the hardware store to get a padlock for the garage. Oh, I got a flashlight that shines red and green. That's something we need. Oh, desperately.
11: <laughs> what did you say? Nothing. Go ahead.
10: Oh. I also found a set of wrenches for the car and a box of magic crystals for the fireplace. They make the fire burn all different colors. It's quite an idea. All that came to about $4. What about the padlock? Well, I'll, I'll pick that up next time. Then I stopped at the drugstore on the way home, and I bought some toothpaste and uh, a can of shoe polish. And some magazines, which uh, came for a little over $2. There you figure it up.
11: I have. I've been writing it down. Altogether, you spent about $15. All right. <laughs>
10: Fifteen? No, oh, no. You must have made a mistake. I only had $10 with me. Let's see.
11: Gasoline, three and a half. Thorny and the Sandwiches, a dollar and a half.
10: Yeah, that's five.
11: Shirt at the Emporium, three and a half. After that, Temptation at the Hardware Store, four dollars. That's
10: twelve and a half.
11: And two dollars and something at the drugstore, that makes it about fifteen. Not bad for starting out with ten dollars. You know, some clerk must have given you too much change.
10: <laughs> Say that's it. That's exactly what happened. The girl at the Emporium gave me five dollars too much change when I bought the shirt. How do you know? Well, I remember now. I gave her a five dollar bill and she gave me change for a ten. She's very busy and she's waiting on two or three customers at the same time. Are you sure? I'm positive. In fact, I remember looking at my wallet and thinking I had too much money at the time. How about that? Gave me change for a ten instead of a five.
11: Well, I'm going downtown now. Why don't you go with me and you can stop in and return the five dollars?
10: Right now, you mean?
11: It'll save a trip later.
10: Well, okay. The only thing, though.
11: I know. It isn't easy. We just have to
10: remember it isn't our money. Yeah, yes, I I realize that. It's just... Just what? Uh, do you have
6: $5?
11: I'm going to shop here at the Emporium and then go across the street.
10: Do you want to wait for me? No, no, that's okay. Why don't you go ahead and I'll see you at home later.
5: Okay, bye. Bye. So she says to me he's a swell guy, but he never wants to take me out. And I said, well, that's the trouble... Oh, just a second. Uh, what can I do for you, sir? Oh,
10: uh, uh, wasn't there another girl working at this counter yesterday?
5: Oh, yes, that's Ingrid Mahoney. She isn't here anymore.
10: Oh. Well, uh, uh, I bought a shirt here yesterday, and she made a mistake.
5: All adjustments are made on the third floor upstairs. So she says to me, what would you uh, do? Uh,
10: pardon me. Uh, Yes? Well, uh, this uh, Miss Mahoney made a mistake
5: in the chain. I'm sorry, but all adjustments are made on the third floor upstairs. So she says to me, what would you do if you were me? Here she's going steady with this fellow who won't take her out, and another fellow's dying to take her out. So what's she going to do?
10: Tell her to go upstairs. (laughs) I beg your pardon? Uh, All adjustments are made on the third floor. (laughs) How do you do, sir? Oh, uh, how do you do? Uh, Is this the adjustment office? Uh, Yes, it is. Won't you sit down? No, thank you. Uh, Is there anything I can do for you? Uh, uh, My name is Nelson. Uh, I bought a shirt here yesterday, and the girl gave me the wrong change. You're supposed to count your change before you leave the
12: counter. There's a sign right there in black and white.
10: Well, uh, yes, I know, but it happens I was in a hurry. We can't be responsible if you're in a hurry. No, 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 I only... Now, let's be cool and practical about this, sir. How do you know you didn't make a mistake? Well, I I checked and double-checked. Perhaps you were confused. No, I wasn't confused. I don't get confused about things like that.
12: Then why didn't you read the sign? We can't go making good every time somebody says he was short-changed.
10: No, no, I wasn't short-changed. I got $5 too much. You weren't confused.
12: (laughs) (laughs) You don't get confused. No. Do you
10: know what you just
12: said? What? You said the girl gave you $5 too much. Well, that's right. She did. And now I'm confused.
10: <laughs> you say you got $5 too much? Yes, that's right. Then what's your complaint? Well, I, I want to return the
12: $5. What's your racket, bud? <laughs>
10: got any racket, I came in here to give you back the
12: five dollars. A likely story. Mr. Nelson, do you think I believe for one moment that any human being with a mentality higher than an orangutan would return money to a department store? Now, look,
10: I didn't come here to be called an orangutan. Here's your five dollars. Goodbye. Come
12: back here.
10: What? Don't
12: you dare leave that $5 bill on my desk. But that's the $5 the girl gave me. You can't leave it here. You can't. But
10: I just told you it's your $5. I never admitted it. You haven't got any witnesses. Look, all I want to do is give you this money and go home. Now here's your $5.
12: Now look, Mr. Nelson, you, you can't do this to me. Do what to you? Mr. Nelson, you look like a reasonable man. Try to see my side of it. The books are already balanced for yesterday. This $5 bill will throw them off it will be off for a month, for the semi-annual audit, for the yearly balance sheet. The auditors will be here at the end of the year, and here
6: I am, unbalanced. <laughs> they will
12: find out in a minute. You can't put anything over on those fellows. What do I tell them? You
10: can't leave that $5 here. You can't. Oh, okay, okay. If you feel that way about it, I'll keep the $5. Oh,
12: thank you, Mr. Nelson. <laughs> If there's ever anything I can do for you in return.
10: No, that's that's all right. Just forget it.
12: Oh, here.
10: Here's a calendar.
12: And a courtesy card entitling you to an hour's free parking. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Mr. Nelson, it's been a pleasure to meet a man as understanding and accommodating as you.
10: Oh, that's perfectly all right. And I I hope
12: you won't take it personally if I make a suggestion. What's that? Either count your change before you leave the counter or don't count it at all.
10: (laughs) So I took the five dollars and came home.
11: That's the silliest thing I ever heard of.
10: I argued with the man. I pleaded with him. After all, you can't force a man to accept money if he doesn't want to take it. He said it would mix up their accounting system. I even laid it on his desk and he threw it right back at me. Oh, here. Here's a, a calendar he gave me.
11: But why didn't you give the $5 to the girl who made the mistake originally?
10: Oh, oh, didn't I tell you? She doesn't work there anymore. This is kind of a cute calendar at that. Isn't it a shame? This November isn't bad. <laughs> Imagine skiing in a costume like that.
11: <laughs> Firing a girl just because she gave you the wrong
10: change. Oh, say, that never occurred to me. You think she was fired?
11: She was there yesterday, and she gave you $5 too much change, and she's not working there today.
10: Oh, gee. Poor girl. Well, Harry, it isn't my
11: fault. Oh, I know it. It's just a shame, that's all. Hi, Pop. Hi, Mom. Hello, Oh, boys. hello, boys. Something wrong, Pop?
10: No, no. Nothing really, David.
11: Well, some girl in a department store made a mistake and gave your father too much change, and she got fired for it. Golly. Golly. Poor girl.
9: Poor girl. Poor girl.
6: Well, it wasn't my fault.
9: (laughs) Well, of course not, dear. How could you help it? Sure, how could you help it? Why didn't you count your change?
10: (laughs) I was in a hurry. The
11: girl probably had to make up the $5 and lost her job besides. Well, Thornberry was telling
9: me about a girl who lost her job last week and tried to jump in the river.
10: David, this just happened yesterday. (laughs) everybody making such a big thing about this? It wasn't my fault, and I went back to the store and tried to straighten it out. Now, let's all forget about it.
9: Can we go out, Pa?
10: Certainly. Go ahead.
9: Hey, David? Yeah? Let's go down the river and watch. <laughs>
8: What's going on with Ozzie and Harriet. As we rejoin them, Ozzie's out in the backyard, staring into space... ...when along comes neighbor Thornberry. Hi, Oz. Oh, hello, Thorny. What
10: are you so worried about? You look as if you'd lost your last friend. Uh, Honestly, Thorny, I can get in... No, you wouldn't be interested. Oh, come on, Oz, cut it out. You know I'm always interested in anything. It all started when I went down to the Emporium to buy a couple of shirts... There's a sales girl who waited hey, on you. Just me. a minute, Oz. Maybe it's best that you don't tell me. Well, you asked me to tell you, so now you're going to hear it whether you like it or not. Okay, Oz, go ahead. You were saying this uh, beautiful sales girl waited on you. Yes, this beautiful set sa- Now, wait a minute. I didn't say that.
6: <laughs>
10: anyway, I I bought a white shirt, and this girl gave me $5 too much change. I don't know why I didn't catch the mistake at the time. I, I guess... understand, Oz. You don't have to explain. Understand what? Fight it, Oz, old boy. <laughs> fight what? This mad infatuation. The look, funny.
6: <laughs>
10: all I did was go in and buy a white shirt. It's very obvious. You don't have to explain to me. There's
8: a bit of a mad beast in every man, but you've just got to fight it.
10: <laughs> oh, for goodness <laughs> Did you read this month's Cosmopolitan? No, no, I didn't. Well, maybe it was last month's. Anyway, there was a story there, and the parallel is amazing. Look, Thorny, Fight it Oz. I don't want to fight it. The whole thing is ridiculous. Did Harriet suggest that you find out the girl's name and give back the $5? No, she didn't. There you are. Where am I?
12: <laughs> well, she
8: understands. She sees the danger. Oz, we got to face it. Ever since the beginning of time, women have had
10: intuition about these things. I can you take this story I was reading in the American Weekly? No, 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 it was Cosmopolitan. No, this was a different one. <laughs> it seems there was this no, no, girl no, 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 and this man... Now, no, wait, wait, wait. wait a minute, will you please? Before you change the subject, you you really think that, that Harriet might might be a little, uh... I mean, you really think so? Well, if she didn't, wouldn't she be the first to suggest that you find out where this girl
8: lives
12: and take the money over to her? Well, she'd come right out and say... Ozzie?
10: Uh, yes? Oh, hello,
11: Thorny. Ozzy, you know, I've just been thinking this thing over. Why don't you find out where this girl lives and take the money over to her?
10: Well, that's a wonderful idea, Harriet. Only thing is you just set women's intuition back 2,000 years. (laughs) I can't understand it. Well, don't look so disappointed, Thorny. Fight it, old boy. Fight it. (laughs)
5: Uh, uh, pardon me. Oh, what can I do for you, sir? Well,
10: there was a girl working here yesterday named Ingrid Mahoney. Yes? Well, uh, could you give me her name and address?
5: Her name and address? Oh,
10: <laughs> I mean, I have her name, but I-, I want her address.
5: Say, weren't you the same fellow who was here this morning asking about Ingrid? Oh, uh, yes, I am. Well, it may interest you to know she's going steady. Well, I, I don't care about that. Gee, a regular caveman. So all I want is Ingrid Mahoney's address. Why is it as soon as a girl goes steady, all the fellas get interested in her?
10: Well, I, I, I don't know, but, but that isn't
5: what I have in mind. You can find lots of girls who aren't going steady.
6: <laughs>
5: I'm not going steady.
10: I, I, I'm afraid you, you misunderstand. You see, I'm already married.
5: Oh Do you by chance ever read Cosmopolitan magazine? I, I,
10: I, yes, I, no I mean, I'm familiar with the story you're talking about But, but really, I'm here on strictly a business matter
5: Oh, darn, why is it every wolf I meet turns out to be a cocker spaniel? (laughs) Would you
10: please listen to me for a moment? I bought a shirt here yesterday. Well, the
5: adjustment department... I've
10: already already been been... upstairs to the adjustment department. All I want now is to find out where this girl lives so I can give her back the $5. It's as simple as all that.
5: Oh, yes, I see. Good. But if I were you, sir, I'd stick to the caveman line. It works much better with us girls. (laughs) See, that's a good idea. Now listen, babe...
6: (laughs)
10: You got Ingrid Mahoney's address? Ah, oh,
5: yes, sir. Give it to me. <laughs> yes, sir. Twenty-five Chestnut Street.
10: Thanks. So long, Tuts. <laughs>
5: Is so big and strong. That's why I love you, Hyman.
8: Say you love me again, Ingrid. I
9: love you, Hyman.
0: Say it again.
9: I love you,
0: Hyman. Say it again.
9: I love you, Hyman.
8: I don't believe it. Look, if I ever catch any other guy looking at you, I will tear him in half like
6: this. Simon, not another telephone
3: bird! <laughs> you see, I love you more than anything. Honest, I
7: do.
5: Well, I'm very flattered to be sure, but... I wish you would control your jealousy, Hyman. It's getting to be very embarrassing.
7: I can't help
3: being jealous of you. You know that, Ingrid. If only I could submerge my physical side. But it's no use. When I see another man interested in you,
5: I just go.
6: Hyman, please, not the classify
5: <laughs> Oh, Hyman.
3: Who could that be?
5: Quite sure I don't know.
11: Come in, the door is open.
10: Uh, I beg your pardon, is Miss Ingrid Mahone. Oh, 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 there you are. Ingrid, what is the meaning of this?
5: Honest Hyman, I never seen him before. Oh,
10: yes, don't you remember me from the story yesterday? The the 33 sleeve, uh, 16 a neck. Uh, <laughs> down
6: Hyman.
5: stranger.
10: Well, well uh, yes, in a way, but don't you remember at the store yesterday, I gave you a five uh, and you evidently gave me change for a ten. Weren't you five dollars short in your accounts?
5: I was no such a thing. Uh, are you sure? Well, naturally, I'm sure. And now, if you don't mind, you have made Hyman cry.
6: Now,
10: <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> now, no, no, please
10: believe me, Hyman. Uh, Herman. <laughs> she was just another girl to me <coughs> she was oh of course it's just that to you she seems so irresistible you sure oh of course to to other men she's just an ordinary girl like thousands of miss
6: mahoney ingrid Ms. mahoney oh please
10: Yeah.
11: Well, what happened?
10: Well, I couldn't force the five dollars on her. She says she doesn't remember me and she doesn't know anything about any shortage.
11: Well, that's funny. How could five dollars mysteriously pop into your wallet? Ozzy, what's that under your arm?
10: It's a box of candy for you.
11: Oh, thank you, dear.
10: Yeah, I had to chase all over town to find one that cost exactly five dollars. <laughs> I figured it's $5 found money, and I might as well blow it in on my best girlfriend.
11: What a lovely thought, dear. Oh, soft centers. Isn't that lucky? Your favorite kind.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
10: uh, good, too.
11: Oh, yes. Ricky told me to remind you that his club is meeting here today. Are you
10: a member or something? Oh, no, no. You know how kids are. If it's important to him, he thinks it's important to everybody. Hmm. I think I'll try one of those long ones now.
9: Oh, there you are, Pa.
10: Oh, hello, Rick. Here, have some candy.
9: Gee, thanks, Pa.
10: All these candies are good. Oh, what is it, son?
9: Do you have your wallet in your pocket? Oh, yes, I do. Why? Remember I told you I was the club treasurer? Yeah. What about it? We have $5 in the treasury, and I put it in your wallet so I wouldn't lose it. Can I have
6: it back now? (laughs)
11: bust of your club for a while. Your dad's trying to cough up $5. <laughs>
10: We sure got that five dollars just in time, didn't we?
9: We sure did. The fellows were getting tired of listening to me stalling them off.
10: Well, you see, that shows you what resourcefulness can do. I don't like to brag, but when your old dad's up against it, you can usually depend upon him to figure out some way. Hey! What's that?
9: Oh, it's only David. I guess he just found out what happened to his piggy bank. <laughs>
8: and starring Ozzy Nelson and Harriet Hilliard.
11: And remember, Heinz soups are condensed. You get twice as much soup by adding an equal part of milk or water. That teaches me fine. Me too. I like a lot,
8: boys. Appearing in support of Ozzy and Harriet were their two sons, David and Ricky Nelson, John Brown, Sarah Burner, Sheldon Leonard, Paula Winslow,
10: Frank Nelson,
8: and yours truly, Byrne Smith. Original music was composed and conducted by Billy May. So
10: long, folks, this is Ozzy saying goodnight for the four Nelsons on the 57 varieties. <laughs>
1: Well, I hope you had fun listening to that. Thank you very much for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Sherlock Holmes, followed by my friend Irma. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads.